Hi, I'm Manika Raman-Wilms, and you're listening to The Decibel from The Globe and Mail. And I always felt that, you know, I kind of felt like everyone was against me a little bit. You know, Jerry wasn't here to blame, and they're looking for somebody. That's Jennifer Kathleen Margaret Robertson. I understand that all of these events leading up made everything look you know, very suspicious or, you know, out of this kind of world. And, you know, many days I wake up and I'm still like, wow, that life happened and that happened to me. She was married to Gerald Cotton. He founded Quadriga, a cryptocurrency exchange company that was wildly successful. It had almost 80,000 clients and over $200 million in investor funds. Except Quadriga was a scam dubbed a Ponzi scheme by the Ontario Securities Commission. And when Gerald suddenly died three years ago at the age of 30, the encrypted passwords to access the hundreds of millions of dollars owed to clients went with him. For the first time since the ordeal, Jennifer is speaking. She's written a book about her experience and spoke about it with telecom reporter Alexandra Pozadsky and Joe Castaldo from The Globe's Report on Business. They've been following the Quadriga saga for years, and both of them are on the show to tell us about their interview with Jennifer and what she has to say about her side of the story. This is The Decibel. Hi, Alex and Joe. Thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Alex, after going through this whole ordeal uh, and staying silent for so long, why is Jennifer writing this book now and and putting herself out there again? Um, We asked her this and she said that she wanted to kind of tell her truth. You know, she spoke about how difficult it was to rebuild her life. Because, you know, my life went from literally one moment amazing to absolute nightmare and I have no idea what's going on. So we only spoke to her over a video call, and she seemed very open and uh, very emotional at times. I got the impression she's still processing, uh, you know, a lot of what happened to her, losing her husband and finding out he was not who he purported to be in a way. And she just seemed very eager to explain. Can you give us just a brief overview of what's it called and what's it about? Sure. So um, the book that uh, Jennifer has written uh, along with a journalist named Stephen Kimber is Bitcoin Widow, uh, Love, Betrayal and the Missing Millions. It's kind of a memoir. Um, It kind of goes through and answers a lot of the questions that Quadriga creditors had when all of this kind of came out. For instance, you know, why did Jerry sign a will just 12 days before he had died in India, which kind of looked very, uh, you know, suspicious at the time. And and then she kind of talks about, you know, the life that they had together and this sort of high rolling lifestyle. Um, it's kind of rich with details. And her kind of message to the reader is that she didn't know um, the whole time that the money that was funding this lifestyle had actually rightfully belonged to Quadriga's users. Joe, can you just briefly explain to us what exactly was Quadriga? Quadriga was a cryptocurrency exchange, one of the first exchanges in Canada. So that just meant it was a place to buy and sell cryptocurrency, mainly Bitcoin. So you could exchange your Canadian dollars for Bitcoin 
or you could exchange your Bitcoin and receive you know, Canadian dollars in return. And it grew fairly quickly, I would say, as the price of Bitcoin escalated and the whole mania around cryptocurrency took hold. And for a time, it was the largest uh, such exchange in Canada. How much money are we talking about here exactly that was wrapped up uh, in Quadriga? More than a billion dollars worth of value ultimately moved through the exchange. But then some of those transactions we later found out were not actually legitimate. But, you know, when the exchange collapsed, it was north of $200 million that was owed to Quadriga's users. Let's take it back a little bit because this new book is written by Jennifer, so who is who is married to to Gerald. What do we know about, I guess, how involved or not involved Jennifer was in all of Jerry's business here? What did she know about Quadriga in those early days? Well, that's one of the big questions I think that we've had for a while. So she has said that she did not understand cryptocurrency. She never really had a desire to understand more about the company. But she had worked uh, for Quadriga a few years ago. As a cryptocurrency exchange, Quadriga had a lot of trouble working with mainstream banks to, to handle its accounts and so on. And so in order to collect money from users and to allow users to withdraw money, what Jerry Cotton did is he basically relied on contractors to set up their own corporations and handle those transactions on behalf of Quadriga. And so at one point he asked Jennifer if she would do that for him. So she set up a company and helped process payments for Quadriga. And she received about $1,000 a month um, doing this. And so she said that was the extent of it. That's all she did for Quadriga. She just took directions from Jerry about where to send money and in what amount. And just in general terms, um, I mean, she has maintained that she did not know really about anything that was going on at the company, that Jerry kept his door locked to his office. At one point, she even told us that she didn't actually understand the fact that Jerry actually held people's money because he had told her it was just a trading platform. So she's like, I thought it was just trading. It felt like I really didn't need to know. And Bitcoin was, it was really confusing and Jerry would talk about it, but I just kind of saw it as it being Jerry's thing and me doing my thing. So we came As the company started to grow, and as you've mentioned, it did get quite big. How did Jennifer and, and Jerry's life change during this time? Yeah, their life changed in a lot of ways. They bought a large property just outside of Halifax. They bought another home in Kelowna. Jerry bought a yacht, um, a 51-foot boat. He wanted to make sure that it was long enough so that it could technically be classified as a yacht. And, you know, Jerry worked a lot from wherever he was. She assumed that she had fallen into a life of, of luxury, in a sense, um, because of her husband's apparent success. They even bought an island from Tucker Carlson in Nova Scotia. Really? Huh. Uh, so in December of 2018, they went to India, actually, for their honeymoon. And this is kind of where a lot of this story really starts. Alex, what actually happened there? 
So just before um, Jen and Jerry left for India, Jerry uh, actually signed a will. It was exactly 12 days before he had died. And Jen writes that the reason why the will was signed so close to his death was sort of a strange coincidence. They'd been talking about, um, you know, wanting to draft up wills for several months, but they had kind of put it off. So Jen and Jerry go off to India and it's, um, you know, part honeymoon and part to visit this orphanage that they had funded. And when they get to Jaipur, they haven't been there for very long when Jerry uh, has a health crisis. So he starts experiencing uh, really bad stomach pains and he's kind of all pale and clammy. And Jen rushes him to the best hospital that they can find uh, nearby. And Jerry actually suffered from Crohn's disease, a condition that causes sort of inflammation in the digestive tract. But their understanding, at first at least, was that this was probably just a case of traveler's diarrhea, which is, you know, very common. But he wasn't getting better. And so the doctors started um, thinking that they should, you know, run some more tests and figure out if there was something else going on. But at this point, his condition kind of uh, destabilizes and he goes into a cardiac arrest. And the doctors resuscitate him uh, and he goes into another cardiac arrest and they resuscitate him again. And then the third time he has his third heart attack and they're not able to resuscitate him. And, uh, you know, with Jen in the room watching, she writes that she sees, you know, the sort of heart monitor line stop and she kind of watches her husband's heart stop there in that emergency room. this time, people are also starting to, to ask questions about Quadriga itself. What was happening uh, on that front uh, at the same time? So just before they went to India, Quadriga was in some trouble already. Um, the company was in a legal dispute with CIBC over, I think, around $26 million or so. CIBC was arguing it was unclear who ultimately owns this pool of cash. And so it had, it had frozen those funds. So some Quadriga users at the time were experiencing incredibly long delays trying to uh, cash out. And once Jerry had, had died, what was happening with the company at that point? How did that affect what was going on at Quadriga? So it was only more than a month later that this message appeared on Quadriga's website um, attributed to Jennifer that uh, Jerry had died. And so this statement, I think, set off a lot of alarm bells for Quadriga's users. To find out that the founder and CEO had died more than a month ago in another country where he was there to open an orphanage, it just seemed like something didn't add up there. And very shortly after that, um, the company was put into creditor protection and Ernst & Young was appointed as the monitor to essentially oversee the assets. And as part of that process, there's a lot of public disclosure. So there were court documents that came out explaining what was happening with Quadriga. And so that was the first time that um, the wider world learned that the company owed its users around $215 million dollars. And nobody could figure out where this money was or how to access it. This was this is something that I still struggle with is his betrayal because it's it felt like he elaborately tried to hide things. Why was there a month delay between 
the time when, when Jerry actually passed away versus the time when they announced it to everyone? So according to Jen, Jerry had told her that he had set up something called a dead man switch. And a dead man switch is sort of a mechanism where essentially every day that Jerry sort of logged into the Quadriga system, it would sort of log it as like, okay, Jerry's, um, you know, still alive and he's still logging into the system. And the idea is that if a certain amount of time elapses where Jerry doesn't log into the system, then the system assumes that something has happened to Jerry and it triggers this email that would be sent to Jen with information on, you know, his laptop password or where Quadriga stored its cryptocurrency reserves, um, that sort of thing. And so the email never arrived. And, uh, you know, she told us that this was sort of uh, another way in which Jerry had betrayed her because he had sort of gone out of his way to tell her about this dead man switch that um, apparently didn't exist. So just to be clear, there was supposed to be this kind of contingency plan in place so that she would be able to uh, access everything that was going on with the company, including passwords in order to access people's money there. So when that didn't happen, what happened to all the money that was tied up in Quadriga? At the time... Nobody knew. There was still some hope that the money existed somewhere. And so that was part of Ernst and Young's job when they took over was to try to trace Quadriga's transactions, review what little records existed in order to try to locate that money. And what we now know is that that money was long gone. Jerry had been sort of mixing his own money with his customers' money. He'd been sort of using Quadriga as his own personal piggy bank. Um, and at times, you know, what he had done is he'd created these sort of fake accounts and credited them with fictitious cryptocurrency that didn't exist and then used those accounts to make real trades on the exchange and then sort of send himself money uh, for withdrawals. And so, the Ontario Securities Commission report sort of described it as an old school Ponzi wrapped in sort of new school technology. And that's essentially what it was, is, you know, it had the appearance of being this kind of new innovative cryptocurrency technology, but really he was, you know, taking money in and then using that new money to pay out his old creditors. And so in sort of the old fashioned sense, it very much functioned as a Ponzi scheme. I would imagine there's lots of speculation then about, around what was going on there. So what, I guess, are some of, of the things that people were thinking or, or speculating about uh, at that time? One of the things that we reported in the very first Quadriga story we did was about uh, Jerry's will. It was signed less than two weeks before uh, they left for India. And the timing of that, people found very suspicious. So his death already sounds suspicious. Quadriga was already having some issues. And then the fact that he had just signed this will before he died struck people as completely implausible. And so I do remember after we wrote that story, a couple of editors from the Globe came by my desk and were like, so is he really dead? And that theory really took off online. Um, people started to speculate that he had faked his death He'd run away with this money, and somehow Jennifer was involved. What were people thinking of Jennifer, I guess, at that time, and, and how did she react or respond to all of it? 
There were all kinds of nasty accusations being hurled at Jen. Um, people accused her of having taken their money. There were some people accusing her of having murdered her husband. Um, she had death threats leveled against her. Um, people kind of took pictures of her, her house and posted them on the internet. And, you know, she had like, you know, mysterious phone calls and just this total onslaught. Um, and so, you know, this really frightened Jennifer and made her feel very unsafe. And um, as she writes in the book, um, ultimately was, you know, one of the things that prompted her to actually attempt to take her own life. Some people suspected maybe Gerald Cotton faked his, his death there. Is there any hint of truth to that from everything that you've you've found out and you've you've learned about the situation? No, I don't think there is. Um, starting from the point when um, our, our colleague at the Globe, Nathan Vanderclip, he, he went to India and retraced uh, their steps there. Uh, he spoke to uh, doctors, police, the people who embalmed his body. Uh, he did a fabulous report from India that I think put those questions to rest. Um, for some people, those questions still lingered to the point where uh, lawyers who were representing um, the users who had lost money in Quadriga, they uh, put out an open letter to the RCMP requesting that uh, Jerry's body be exhumed. And what's been the response to that? Silence. It never went anywhere. Behind all of this, though, Joe, is a lot of people who put money into a company and lost a lot of money. Where are those investors left today? Those investors are still waiting to receive anything back um, some three years later. Because most of the money is gone, um, there's not much left for them. Ernst & Young was able to recover, I think, around $33 million. That's out of 215 or so. So they're not going to get much back. And this process takes a very long time, as you can imagine. I think one thing that um, is at play right now is the Canada Revenue Agency is assessing um, how much money Quadriga owed in taxes because Quadriga never paid taxes. So that has to be resolved as well. So essentially, they are still waiting. After looking into this story for so long uh, and, and finally hearing directly from Jennifer now, do you have any outstanding questions, I guess, about, about everything that happened here? I do feel that being able to speak with Jen and having read the book has answered um, most of the questions that I've had the past little while. Um, there is one that, that nobody will ever know, and it's one that Jennifer herself has said that still haunts her, is just, you know, why did Jerry do this? And she said, you know, for her, it's, it's painful because she can't ask him. He's not here. Um, to ask that question. So she just has to live with it. I hope his intentions, you know, were not as sinister as it could be. I, I really hope that, but I'll, ne I'll never have any way to know. Basically, kind of the mystery that we're all still sort of left with is, you know, the why. There's no easy answer to that unless someone uncovers a Gerald Cotton diary at some point. Joe and Alex, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us today. Thank you. Thanks. That's it for today. I'm Manika Raman-Wilms. Our producers are Madeline White and Cheryl Sutherland. David Crosby edits the show. Kasia Mihailovich is our senior producer, and Angela Pachenza is our executive editor. Thanks so much for listening, and I'll talk to you tomorrow. <laughs>